Go on now, go. Walk out the door. Just turn around now. You're not welcome anymore. Aren't you the one who used to say for something words? Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we'll be talking about new releases, Pete's Dragon and Sausage Party. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a little something. So you guys know that I'm pretty big into the Academy Awards season. If if you've uh, visited the Crooked Table YouTube page, you know that I put a whole video of my reactions to last year's nominees and reviews of all the Best Picture nominees and all that stuff. Um, So... One race that I think is really shaping up to be a very interesting one this year is Best Animated Feature. Um, Of course, you know, I'm a big fan of Disney and assorted animated films from back in the day. Uh, Don Bluth, actually, you know, American Tale and all that, going old school for for my 80s kids out there. Uh, But I've, I've always sort of found that the addition of that category and then what's going to be nominated within it really fascinating. And I think... Part of that is probably because every year it sort of falls into a, oh, is anybody going to beat Pixar kind of conversation, just based on the fact that they've won for, you know, Finding Nemo and Up and I think WALL-E and Toy Story 3 and I think even Brave. They just, they have probably about, I think, six or seven best animated feature statuettes at this point. So it really does kind of fall into like, all right, Pixar, what do you got this year? Inside Out being the latest example. And this year, it's, it's looking really a lot more crowded than that, just that. Um, Finding Dory was a huge moneymaker, and everybody really liked it. But I don't think anybody really walked away being so impressed that it's an obvious shoe-in. Well, you know, Finding Dory is going to take that one, sort of like Inside Out was last year. If anything, I feel like Zootopia might, you know, might kind of sneak ahead as the frontrunner, which is still Disney... You know, but it's it's the different animation studio. It's Walt Disney Animation Studios directly, rather than them working through their uh, Pixar subsidiary. So, and as you know from you know last last you know last episode, and I think a couple of a few episodes ago, um, Zootopia is a, one of my favorite movies so far this year. So I'm all behind that. However, I mean this year you also have other ones like Angry Angry Birds, which I don't think anybody's expecting that to get nominated. Uh, Secret Life of Pets. And Kung Fu Panda 3, April the Extraordinary World, and I'm not sure if Only Yesterday by Studio Ghibli uh, qualifies, because I know that's a 1991 release, but it only now got a release here in theaters, so I'm not sure if that quali- if that counts. I think that I think that qualifies it for this Oscar season as well. But you have those, and then a bunch of upcoming ones: uh, Sing, Trolls, Storks, Moana again from Disney. But the one that I really want to talk about today is another new release and that is The Little Prince on Netflix. Now for those of you unfamiliar with this, this is based on the classic 1943 novella um, and it's a very simple story about an, an aviator who is sort of stranded in the, in the desert and it comes across this this little boy uh, who calls himself The Little Prince and uh, it's kind of ha- it's basically much more philosophical in nature. It's a French story, the animated film is French but Netflix has actually actually scooped up the film for distribution. It was meant for theatrical release back in March. Netflix scooped it up and released it recently 
um, you know, with an English dub featuring, you know, Jeff Bridges, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Paul Rudd, Mackenzie Foy, and a, and a host of other uh, talented actors. And uh, the thing about that movie is that it's much more philosophical in nature. It's not basically, you know, like a lot of American animated films where it's very straightforward. It's like, oh, it's a fish who's trying to get back with her family. Or it's a lady, it's a bunny cop, and she's trying to prove herself and solve a case. That It's not very plot-driven. It's much more theme fo- thematically focused. And it makes all kinds of really interesting points about, um, about what it means to grow up, about, um, you know, how children see the adult world. A lot of commentary on being a child in the same vein that Inside Out uh, made a lot of solid, uh, actually important points about, you know, the childhood experience. And those have come to be some of my favorite uh, family films are the ones that are directed not only, you know, appeal to children, but speak directly to their situation, to, you know, helping them develop and mature as an adult emotionally and mentally. Um, You know, the film has a lot of, and we'll get to this a little more later when we talk about Pete's Dragon, which also hits a lot of the same, a lot of the same beats, I would say, to a certain extent. Uh, maybe not quite as blatantly as The Little Prince, but the Netflix film, which is directed by Mark Osborne, who did Kung Fu Panda, and uh, you know he's had done and worked on various animated films over the years, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants movie, the the original one from 2004. Um, but yeah, he he uh, guides this thing with such a steady hand, and the film fleshes out that original story, which, as I mentioned, was more thematically based, um, but giving it a framing device focused on a little girl who moves in to uh, a new house with her mom and next door to an old man who starts telling her the stories about, you know, the little prince, the stories from the actual original story. Um, It starts out very straightforward and then goes way more fantastical from there. But if you can sort of roll with what it's trying to say, uh, I think the film is is very, um, very powerful on a lot of levels. And definitely something for you parents out there that you want to share with your children. It's just, I'm just so surprised that it came out of nowhere. And uh, you can read my full review for The Little Prince on WeGotThisCovered.com. But I, I, you know, I was a little curious about it, but I hadn't really had any familiarity with the source material. So I wasn't necessarily going into this, you know, with a, a checklist of, oh, they need to touch all these bases and make sure they make all these points because that's, that's what the book did. Um, I, I kind of approached it just fresh as an animated film that I had heard good things about um, and that I knew was based on a very popular work. But, it, you know, it wasn't something like, you know, even Pete's Dragon, I was would, I was familiar with the original and I watched that as a kid and that kind of thing. Um, but, it, you know, the film had such a unique take on, on the book as well as, the, you know, the framing device and the animation style is really strong. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it, it looks unlike any other film that I've seen um, recently, in the last few years, I would say. And that part of that is because of the combination of stop motion and computer animation. Um, the parts with the little prince are done in stop motion. The parts with the little girl uh, and the more modern story are in computer animation, which perfectly dovetails into the tone of the film. And sort of the, you know, um, 
the combination of those two storylines. Stop motion already does feel sort of, not outdated, but sort of uh, nostalgic, sort of like a throwback style of animation that most companies have moved right past, with the exception being uh, Leica, or Leica. I'm still trying to figure out what's the right way to pronounce that. The people that did Coraline and, and are, you know, are doing uh, the Kubo and the Two Strings, which is coming out next week, which I'll be talking about next week. Um, but yeah, the, 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 taking that older style of animation that, you know, you can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the special from the 60s, and it uses similar style of animation. I mean, granted, way less sophisticated than what they have now. But, uh, but yeah, the stop motion really sort of puts you in that mindset of, oh, this is a fairy tale. This is, this is sort of a story out of time and uh, kind, of, uh, kind of makes that division between the two stories really clear. Um, it reminded me a little bit, actually, in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, where they have that animated sequence telling the story of uh, the Deathly Hallows and the three king, uh, the three, I forget if it's the three princes, the three kings, whatever they are, um, in that story. But uh, the, modern, the modern spin on an old story and the way that they combine the two animation styles to really convey the themes and, and uh, message of the original book are really impressive. So if you have small children, or even if you don't have children at all, and you're at least moderately interested in animation or you know powerful storytelling or anything like that, I would definitely check it out. I will caution you though for little little kids, it's probably a little slower and quieter than they're used to. I mean, Jesus, if things like Angry Birds are sort of the benchmark for the kind of uh, the kind of animated films that today's kids are used to. This will definitely feel much slower, and little kids might not really appreciate the uh, the, the depth and uh, you know the profound nature of the story itself. Um, so you know, I would I would lean a little more towards the older set, not based on content, just based on uh, I think they would enjoy it more. Um, so you know, it'd probably say for best for older kids and adults who you know can reflect. Uh, reflect on their childhood and and sort of uh, maybe refresh their perspective on things a little bit. That's The Little Prince, currently streaming on Netflix. And uh, as I said, you can read my full review on wegotthiscovered.com. Highly recommended, uh, well, both the review, obviously, and the, uh, and the film, but definitely check it out and, uh, and let me know what you guys think. So moving on to the latest Disney live-action remake, Pete's Dragon. All right, so Pete's Dragon is the remake of the 1977 Disney live-action film about a little boy and his friendship with a then-hand-drawn animated dragon named Elliot. The new version by co-writer-director David Lowry kind of reimagines the story about, uh, of the, the titular little boy named Pete. Uh, sort of a feral, uh, a feral child. He's sort of living out in the woods very akin to the Jungle Book in some ways, which, you know, just bad timing, I guess, that Pete's Dragon and Jungle Book end up hitting theaters within a few months of each other. But, um, but he lives in the woods, and Elliot basically helps him out and keeps him, helps him to survive. And then this, this film chronicles the story of when Pete ends up crossing over into, you know, being discovered by a group of adults and crossing over into the human world and sort of reacclimating uh, to that and kind of reconciling 
reconciling his newfound family with uh, his friendship with Elliot. And in that way, in the way that the film chronicles the main character's kind of transition and entrance into the world proper, it does it does have a lot of uh, a lot of similarities to Room, the uh, Oscar winner from last year. Obviously, this is a Disney movie, so it's not nearly as harrowing or emotionally draining as that film was. But it has a lot of sort of um, I don't know psychological similarities and sort of touches base on on sort of, you know sort of the uh, overwhelming nature of what it would be like if you've known if you've been living living your life one way cut off from human contact essentially or very limited human contact as the case was in room and then all of a sudden realizing oh wait there's this whole other world out there you know how do how does that how does this work where do i fit in and i feel like lowry really um, you know, really sort of uses the story of Pete's Dragon to explore much deeper themes with regard to, uh, you know, growing up in that way and it's in a coming-of-age story. Um, and also, you know, with the, with the dragon as the main plot device, really sort of uses Elliot's existence to sort of parlay into a bigger, uh, bigger concept of, um, you know, magic and where its place is in real life and appreciating nature and protecting it and the main character one of the main characters in the film played by Bryce Dallas Howard is sort of a you know preserve um, she, she's basically like a ranger of sorts protecting this this piece of uh, you know this piece of woods um, you know to keep it preserved and all that and um, you know that sort of embodies the the message and and uh, I guess you know, main concept behind the this film. Howard really brings so much warmth to her character. She's really sort of the motherly figure to um, to young Pete, which played by Oakes Fegley. Need to make sure to mention that because he is really, really strong in this film. Um, and I believe this is his first. This is his first leading role um, in a major motion picture, and he has really fine support. He actually really carries the carries the film really well but because Pete is very quiet and passive for the most part he doesn't really he doesn't really have a lot to to say because he's still just taking everything he's taking all this experience in so it leaves a, a lot of the dialogue to Howard to Wes Bentley playing her husband to Una uh, I think her name is Una I'm gonna say Una Una Lawrence the little girl who was earlier in Bad Mom uh, this year and then Last, I believe last year was in Southpaw, and she was really good in all of those. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying her work on screen thus far, um, and it's going to be interesting to see where her career takes her in the future. But you also have Robert Redford and Carl Urban, just a great cast across the board. And the way that Lowry films it, it really centers on like appreciating nature. They're you know really supporting the message of the film by the end, and. And really capturing such incredible cinematography, basically, basically fitting. What, what's interesting about this movie is that it's to me it's both old-fashioned in the way its its story is told. It's it's a much slower pace than today's kids' films, but I think to great effect because it leaves a lot of room for the characters to naturally interact. 
for them to have their, their emotional moments, for, for the audience to really connect to them uh, across the board, you know, with a couple exceptions. I'd say the villain of the film, and I won't really get into who that is, is a little underdeveloped, but I mean, it's not really his story, and you sort of get what his motivation is without really needing to uh, explicate on it very much. But it, it's a very old-fashioned in storytelling, and I mean that in, in a good, and I mean that in a good way. In a classic Disney family film sense, it has that timeless feel to it, where you know it feels like it could have come out when the original movie came out. In fact, the setting in this film is a little uh, unclear, almost like they're going for a period setting without really even saying that they're going for a period setting. There's nothing like X-Men Apocalypse where they're like, "Oh man, let's look at this '80s music," or "Let's go see Return of the Jedi in theaters." Um, none of that stuff, but it does, it does sort of seamlessly adopt a, uh, a period setting that makes the film sort uh, sort of exist in a world of its own, which I think the best family films, especially films that have fantastical, um, you know, fantastical elements to them, I think they, they worked really well for them, and I think this film really does tie back to the Amblin Entertainment era, it really does feel like in the spirit of films like E.T., The Extraterrestrial, but it also has the modern technology that we have now with the CG of the dragon, which is really well done. He's very endearing, and and I feel like, you know, people, audiences are going to have the same kind of reaction to the friendship he has with Pete that they do with, you know, the two main characters in the How to Train Your Dragon series. In fact, this film's approach to that friendship really did remind me of the boy and his dog style that DreamWorks uses for those films. Um, you know, some people have said that the film is is very sappy and, uh, you know, to the point where you're like, yeah, okay, we get it. This is emotional. This is, this is a tender moment, whatever, move on. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just a softie or maybe the fact that I went into this film with kind of non-existent expectations, I guess. Um, I, you know, I saw the, fir- the first one growing up, on and off, was here and there, I saw it. I didn't really, it wasn't like one of my favorites, but I was familiar with it. Not enough where I can like, detail the entire plot to you right now, but I remember the general concept. I remember there was a song called Candle in the Water. I remember that uh, Mickey Rooney's in it, and, and, you know, I remember the dragon himself. So there's a, there's a lot of, there's a vague history with the movie that I think lends itself to reimagining and sort of taking what was there initially and making it better. And I feel like this is the rare remake that actually improves upon the original. Uh, I don't really think anybody, I mean, not that many people at least. I mean, watch, I said I don't think anybody. And then somebody will tweet at me and be like, Pete's Dragon was my life. Um, But I don't think it's one of the more cherished films in Disney's archive. It's, It's just sort of faded off a little bit. The main thing people remember is that there was an animated dragon in it. So the new version actually adds a lot more gravitas to the main story and, you know, and improves upon the effects while still keeping the same spirit of the films of the late 70s, early 80s that were, you know, designed to sort of bridge the gap between, you know, reality kind of being confronted by supernatural and fantastical elements, whether that's aliens, whether that's, you know, uh, monsters, or, you know, in this case, dragons. Um, but I think it really, it really works, and uh, I just did a feature for 
we got this covered, which I guess I've been doing a lot of writing for. It feels like I mentioned that with uh, Little Prince as well. Uh, I just did a feature for them on, you know, Disney's live action remakes, Ranked. And I put Pete's Dragon, I don't know, no spoilers, but I put it pretty high. So uh, I definitely check that out and, and uh, see what you think. How many of these Disney live action remakes? And by that, I mean Disney's remakes of their own live action movies. I know they're doing a lot of the animated films sort of, you know, repurposed as live action with the Jungle Book, as I mentioned earlier, with Cinderella from last year, Beauty and the Beast next year. And they're doing like one of those a year roughly. I wouldn't be surprised if that starts ramping up since they're doing so well. Um, but I mean, at least for me, Pete's Dragon is actually better than, than the Jungle Book. And, you know, for this, for this uh, emotional softy, it, it's, it's a 4.5 out of 5. And uh, I don't know, it's just sentimental in the very best way. And I feel like families that go into it expecting just a nice, just a nice, wholesome, uh, simple but powerful story about, um, you know, man's interaction with nature and, you know, just kind of uh, coming into the world for a young, a young boy and sort of finding a home. Because that's really what the film is about. Uh, so that's Pete's Dragon. It's now in theaters. Highly recommended for me. Definitely check it out and, uh, and let me know what you think. So we're going to move on over to a review of a very non-family-friendly film. This is being the animated comedy Sausage Party um, from uh, Seth Rogen and his writing partner Evan Goldberg. So um, let's shift over and see what Rob thought of that. Okay, so I just saw Sausage Party. Now... Going into this movie, I had heard a lot of really positive things on Twitter and social media, um, mostly following its screening at Comic-Con. And so, you know, being a, a fan of most of Seth Rogen's previous uh, films, I, I was sort of building up a lot of anticipation for the film. And I got to say, it was a lot of it was funny, and I, saw, I, I see what they were trying to do. It actually had a lot more, uh, a lot more levels to it, I guess, than I was expecting. Um, based on the trailers, you know, it, it does look mostly like a parody of Pixar-style animation uh, as far as the CG and, you know, non-sentient objects being given sort of like, what if, what if uh, you know, what if we tell a story from their perspective, as Pixar has done so many times with, with everything from toys to cars to monsters to bugs to emotions. Um, so Sausage Party does sort of work as a parody of that kind of filmmaking, and there was a lot of humor in it that, that I found, you know, there was just basically like a lot of it was lowest common denominator kind of like puns as far as someone being like, spill the beans. And then there's a can of beans sitting in the corner and the guy's like, I'm not talking to you, that kind of thing. They, they, they basically wring all the humor out of that that they can. And what's funny about this film is that there's, there's a, a lot of subtext involved that I think you could read into it. There's a whole message about you know, belief systems and religion. And there's, there's two characters that are even quite obviously sort of commenting on the, the uh, conflict between Israel and Palestine. And, uh, and sort of as that goes on, you, you know, with Seth Rogen's particular brand of ultra crass humor. Um, and, and for the most part, I'd say it was funny. There were some elements throughout that I was, that, I don't know, it felt sort of slower paced to me. And some of it just felt, some of the jokes just felt a little cheap. 
um, and not cheap as in, you know, rude or like dirty, because I kind of was obviously expecting that going in, just sort of obvious and uh, not necessarily with a lot of forethought put into them. Um, I don't know, something, I'm not sure if it's because the expectations I had going in for it maybe elevated what I was expecting or what, but there was a lot about the film that I didn't particularly care for. Um, just the way it took, the way that the film, how do I want to phrase this? The way that the film just takes advantage of shock value for the sake of being shocking, uh, especially towards the end, there's an extended sex scene that is probably the most, uh, the most over the top ridiculous one we've gotten on screen since Team America World Police. Uh, and I know that I've, you know, it's easy to compare this to that because that's another film that's taking a technique that's usually made or usually devoted to family entertainment or kid-friendly entertainment and sort of twisting it on its head by, you know, dropping lots of F-bombs and, and you know, and graphic violence and overt sexual content. And Sausage Party very much fits within that mold. So as far as... You know, as far as humor was concerned, I didn't really, I didn't really hear a lot of reaction from my theater. I don't know if it's because I went to a morning, uh, I went to an early morning, not early morning, but you know, ten thirty showing, and a lot of people were, you know, the theater wasn't as packed as it could have been or what. But I, so I basically heard a couple of raucous, or ruckus, whatever, however that is. I basically heard a couple of loud people towards the back, really cracking up every time somebody said the f word. And which was often, and other than that, I didn't see a whole lot of response from people in my theater. I feel like maybe the movie goes a little too far with the uh, with the language, and I'm not to say that I have any problem with with harsh language, but they just randomly like, "What the fuck are you fucking doing here?" Which after a while, it's the you know you you use overdo it so much, and you're you're so focused on being outrageous and in your face that it doesn't really have any sort of comedic impact anymore and you're just sort of become numb to oh, okay this is what we're doing i get it and the, the film really embraces um plays on words and 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 kind of riffing on stereotypes where you have like bottles of soy sauce and they have asian you know very stereotypical like chinese or asian accents and you have um the you know mexican actress salma hayek playing uh, a taco and you have like a whole uh, whole group of gay characters that are literally fruits in the film things like that there's a lot of that going on and some of it works and some of it doesn't but for me it felt very much of a mixed bag more so than I was anticipating it to be as I said you know I'm a fan of Seth Rogen's for the most part and I was really wanting this film to be great and it ended up just being okay just being decent um i haven't decided exactly where i'm going to rank this as far as or rate this as far as you know out of five probably leaning towards between three and 3.5 uh not again which is usually for me it's not super blown away but it's also not you know i didn't walk out and be like what a waste of my time it was just kind of right in the middle you know uh, I will say Seth Rogen's voice acting was was really on point. Kristen Wiig was was great in it, and actually Michael Sarah as another one of uh, another one of the sausages in in uh, the same package as Frank, the main character voiced by Seth Rogen. But if you saw the trailers for this and it seemed inter interesting and you're kind of intrigued with the premise, I would go ahead and check it out. I wouldn't say this is something you need to necessarily run out and see in theaters because 
I mean, the animation isn't like so gorgeous that you're gonna miss out on a really, uh, a really memorable um, theater- theatrical experience like you would with something like Finding Dory or I'm assuming haven't seen it yet, Kubo and the Two Strings or some of these other animated films that are more visually striking. So honestly, it feels like in a lot of ways, and this can kind of be applied to most Seth Rogen movies, but it sort of feels like, you know, this is the film to watch with a group of friends and, you know, a few beers or, you know, other substances if you're into that kind of thing and just kind of hanging out with like a pizza and just enjoying a Saturday night and popping this in and and having a bunch of laughs. Maybe in that context, I would have enjoyed it more. Um, But seeing it here, you know, it's, it's solid, but it's not... It's not as uh, it's not as groundbreaking or um, impressive as I as I was hoping. So mild recommendation for me, but as far as animated films this year, it's definitely not on the higher end. I'd still put Zootopia, The Little Prince, Finding Dory, all above this. But if you're looking for an R-rated animated com- comedy, there have been very few lately they've been kind of in short supply in fact i think this is the first cg animated r-rated film so you know if you are a fan of seth rogan's or a fan of this kind of comedy or the trailers like really impressed you and you're super excited to check it out i would recommend that you do so but maybe if you're you know not really have the time right now or there's other things that you'd rather see this one could probably wait until Redbox. so that's just my perspective on it, at least. I know more. most people have enjoyed it more. But again, I feel like it really does benefit from that communal experience. Um, I actually you know, went to see this by myself. I, I knew it would not be something Kai would be into. So I just checked it out. I was like, save yourself. Go see Pete's Dragon or something else. And I just went in there. And uh, now having seen it, I think I made the right choice. Because I don't think she would have enjoyed it. Um, because I'm, I'm much looser when it comes to this kind of humor. I mean, I'm a fan of Family Guy and, and, uh, the South Park film and Team America, like I mentioned. So I, uh, you know, I'm a lot, I'm a, I enjoy crass humor more than she does. So even I was sort of like, "Eh," I mean, it seems like they go too far with it. Uh, I will say that they did try and throw an extra twist in the last, uh, last scene or so, which I don't know if they're thinking that they're going to go for a sequel with this. I I doubt it, but, you know, from, to me at that point, it was just, like, too little too late in trying to redeem it with, like, a outrageous twist at the end, so, uh, yeah, mild disappointment for me, but for those people who, who, um, are really excited to see it, I would say, yeah, give it a whirl, uh, but do not, I would stress this, I can't stress this enough, do not bring your kids to see this, I know it's an animated film, so you might be thinking, oh, it's fine, it's just a couple you know, a couple bad words here and there's like, no, they go all out with the, with the violence, they go all out with the language, they go all out with the sexual content, especially as I mentioned that extended sequence towards the end. Um, so leave the kids at home, get a babysitter or something. If you really want to see this in theaters or send them across the hall to Pete's dragon, because as I said earlier, that one is highly recommended for everyone. Uh, but you know, it's not, not filled with laughs. If you're looking for comedy at the, in theaters this weekend, um, yeah, Death Sausage Party is definitely better than Pete's Dragon, but in virtually every other respect, I would opt for the uh, the Disney family film as opposed to the really, really raunchy Seth Rogen one. But, I mean, that's kind of common sense, isn't it? So that about wraps up this episode of the Crooked Table podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Crooked Table. 
And uh, give us a good review in iTunes if you can. That would really help get the show out there. Um, now I'm trying to get into a swing of putting one of these out there every week or so. I think I've kind of figured out a way to make that fit within my schedule. But I'm really anxious to see what you guys say about uh, about the new format. If you want to he- want to hear me talk about something specific, a specific film, a specific show, if I've seen it, I'm not really following that many shows at the moment. But let me know what you want to hear on future episodes. And uh, you can drop me, reach out to me on Twitter or, you know, drop me an email at robert at crookedtable.com. That'll be it for this episode. I'll catch you guys next time. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs>